Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bounds. Let's go back to 1980s New York. The city is a hotbed of crime and of creativity. Disco is making way for hip-hop blasting from boomboxes and the streets have become the canvases for a new wave of artists. In 1982, two of the most notorious members of the city's art scene have just met. Andy Warhol is in his 50s and while his star still shines, it is flickering. His success as the pioneer of the pop art movement of the 60s is beginning to ebb. The art world's attention is beginning to turn to others and one of them, whippersnapper Jean-Michel Basquiat, has started to garner attention for his bold work in the city's graffiti scene. The two become close friends and collaborators. They plan a show together to be held in 1985 which promises to be the greatest exhibition in the history of modern art. The play's writer, Anthony McCartan, is best known for writing biopics including Bohemian Rhapsody, The Theory of Everything and The Two Popes. I spoke to Anthony and started off by asking him about the moment he knows he's chosen the right subject on which to focus. I think I don't really attempt these things unless I, I have a kind of elective affinity about them that I feel <laughs> feel that I can grasp them and and do justice to them. And there's usually something in the way someone speaks, how they articulate things that is that is a certain percentage of my interest in the project in the first place. So if it's Winston Churchill, for example, you know, there's something in me that wants to write for that voice. And with Andy and Jean-Michel, it, it was similar appeal that Andy really in public doesn't say boo. He just sort of says, oh, gee, and wow, and isn't that great, you know. And he was very protective of not going, uh, going revealing anything under the persona but there was enough in places like his diaries, for example, where you saw him just torrentially downloading anecdotes to his secretary. That's essentially what his diaries are, are his morning yeah. downloads to his assistant, Pat Hackett. And you hear in that in those writings a different Andy, one that we've never really seen dramatised. And it's that that we give air to in this play. And similarly with Jean, Jean-Michel... The extent, there's only a couple of videos um, where we really missed the boat with him. He, we never captured him on film. And when we do, he's shy of the camera and says very, very little. But he, you have to kind of decode more from his artwork what his interests are and what his passions are and what his method was and what his ambitions were. And um, so there was more intuitive work with Jean-Michel. Yeah, I mean, both of these characters, and I mean it, the characters in your screenplay and in your uh, script, Anthony, they kind of bring it, they bring the truth out of each other slowly and surely by shocks and by persuasion and with different props and all the rest of it as well. What for you is the sort of central truth of their relationship? Was it a father-son thing? Was it two great artists actually getting on? Was it a, a sort of generational shift that was, was actually easier than the older artist thought? What's central to it uh, for you as the writer? Well, it's, a, it's another, for me, a story about opposites. And I'd come off writing a movie about two popes that had been about a liberal and a conservative. And I'm currently very interested in dialogues between people who are sort of binary opposites. And in many ways, philosophically and in terms of life life histories, Basquiat and Warhol, very diametrically opposed. 
but within the three years of their collaboration, they really loved each other by the end of it. So that that really was the center of it, and it animates many of the things I'm doing right now. Is is that search for common ground between people who, on the surface of it, are very far apart. I guess it, it sort of really lives and dies, or lives and breathes on the strength of of that dialogue as well. And I suppose between the two characters. Although there are a couple of <laughs> excellent sort of near soliloquies that Andy Warhol gets in the collaboration, one being his excellent night out when he, he, he tells Jean-Michel Basquiat that actually just he chopped up some old bread and went to the park and fed the pigeons. And then when pushed by Basquiat, admits to having this fantastic sort of, <laughs> kind of and described in the most amazing somewhere between Oscar Wilde and Dorothy Parker um the waspish side of uh, of Warhol must must have been a lot of fun to write I'm guessing Anthony yeah yeah His, he, when he first hit New York and he, he used to follow Truman Capote around who was a, a great gossip and a popper of sort of celebrity bubbles and he learned a lot from Truman's style about that. And uh, so in the context of the play, he's showing off to Jean to say, look, this is my world. This is, this is an ordinary day for me. It doesn't mean anything to me, but this is, this is how I live. But we reveal the loneliness at the heart of all that for all the name dropping and all the parties and going to John and Yoko's and hanging out with Mick and Jerry. He goes home to an empty apartment and has to put the light on for himself and we explore that the little boy from Pittsburgh Steel Town America um, is is opened up for us in a way Andy wouldn't never really allowed anyone to look at that place in him there's a lot of strength and a lot of fragility in both of those two men and and it's it's sort of beautifully the kind of the the double hander that the kind of balance of power between them it is starts off a bit like a sort of cockfight or something sort of stays it sort of it fluctuates but by the end it's very much it seems very much a, a, a romance is there any truth in that sort of idea not not a rope not a not a sort of physical romance but a, but a bromance i suppose a great respect no i'm not afraid of the word romance there is a romance there they learn to love each other and for me the writing process is is that you have to equip one side of an argument just as as um, powerfully as you equip the other and my allegiance as I'm writing switches. I, you know, I'm writing a page with Andy, who's basically giving his dogma. And then when you start writing Jean's thing, you say, "Well, Andy, you no, know, Andy was deluded." You know, <laughs> Jean, Jean was absolutely right. I hope the audience can go on that journey of seeing two real heavyweights, artistic heavyweights, going at it. And the analogy of a boxing match is is threaded right through the whole thing. They're jabbing, they're fainting, they're missing blows and stuff. They're just wailing on each other by the end of it. And it's a complete knockout, a battle at the end for two people who otherwise we know as these monosyllabic silent guys hiding behind a persona. So it's opening, opening, really opening them up in a kind of therapeutic way. That's the, the nice challenge. And boy, am I served by a fabulous cast and director here. This is really one of the most magical creative experiences I've had in my life working with these people they're so dedicated they're so good at their craft and um, maybe because we've also just come out of COVID there's a sort of intensity in everyone's work and, and a kind of a feeling of, that we're back and we're repledging you know our oath of, of allegiance to what we do what we've dedicated our lives to which is this creating of these artworks <laughs> 
That was my conversation with Anthony McCartan, the collaboration's writer. Now, the play is directed by Kwame Kwe Armour, also the artistic director of The Young Vic, and stars Jeremy Pope and Paul Bettany as Basquiat and Warhol. I was delighted to be joined in our London studio by Kwame, Jeremy and Paul. What's the, what's the crux of this? play is it a kind of father and son story is it a, a generation clinging on to power and giving away power story is it simply the story of a of a friendship what's the kind of central conceit of it for you i think it's always really hard to kind of boil it down to open and, with and such d- a no 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 not at all it's not a critique of your question it's actually an, a, a critique of my inadequacy to answer it in the way that i'd love to but quintessentially what i found myself attracted to about this was that actually it was about artists meeting each other in a place where they ask themselves the central question who am i do I still have the power or do I have the power that I believe that I should have? And the dance in front of a competitor, a dance where they look at each other's spirits. And that's a really long way round of saying, yes, it is for me a play about generation of artists looking at each other and saying, who am I? Yeah. And what will I be at the end of this collaboration? And I guess two men as well who are very used to wanting to say that their work speaks for itself. And obviously when you put this stuff on the stage, these men have to speak for themselves. But in the closed confines of each other's studios, we start off in a gallery, but everything is in kind of private space, isn't yes. it, as well? Yeah. I think that's the genius of what Anthony's done, actually, is that, and actually what both these brilliant actors do, they give us a kind of window at the beginning of who both Warhol and Basquiat are, the the ones that we think we know. Yeah. And then they kind of open a door and then they take us into their private rooms. And in there, they invent. And it, it's a beautiful speculation that is based on, in, in my humble opinion, based on what we know of these men, but also what we dream about who they might be in conversation with an equal, with a peer. Yeah. And these actors do this, actually. The both Paul and Jeremy, they open that door, we go inside that private room, and then they exit through that door at the end of the play. And I have found myself, um, we're at the last beats of rehearsal. So, you know, it, one always is very cautious, and I'd like to touch wood, but you said not to bang because of all the, <laughs> the microphone. So I think for the sake of the production, we need to do thank some Thank you, touching so I'm touching, wood. I'm yeah, touching wood, <laughs> if not at least banging it. Um, that, that I hope that the audience will feel the way that I felt actually just observing these two very beautiful artists, Paul and Jeremy, inhabit these icons, but yet make them their own. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I've got two um, two blushing actors here then, in that case. A, a ringing endorsement, Kwame. Paul and Jeremy, I mean, we go straight away into kind of the, uh, as Kwame says, the kind of, the, the, we, we go from the public face of these two two guys to, to something approaching the, the private the private personas of them. Um, Jeremy, I'll start with you. How do you how do you start prepping um, for this? Yeah, it's an interesting space that I'm in today because we are still in process and we're still in rehearsals and we're still finding and unpacking and it's been a beautiful experience. For me, the thing that I found to be the most resourceful um, in discovering who Jean is and was, was his art and is his art. There was such a clear channel from what he was feeling emotionally, spiritually, to what was being represented on the canvas. So I used that as my information. 
to get an insight of where he was in in his mind and at a, at a certain time. So, you know, we 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 have the privilege of seeing photographs. Photos, I think, to say a lot. So we there's a lot of photography of you know Jean and Andy and what their relationship looked like in the, in those imageries, and I use that. But it's ultimately just been using the text and and digging and digging deeper into finding the soul of who these men were and are. And I have such the privilege to do it every day, you know, with Kwame's direction, but with Paul being there and his openness as an artist. I missed theater for that reason of how open and naked people are willing to go and be with you. I don't feel alone through this process. So it's it's been, you know, something that maybe, you know, before we started rehearsals felt very scary to take on these icons and these men has now been very therapeutic. And I think one of the most beautiful projects I've ever been a part of. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing, Paul. I mean, these two sort of literally these icons, these great artists, two of the great artists of the 20th century, two artists that have sort of spoken about, you know, everyone's first thought is of those guys when you think of the great artists, especially that amazing, vibrant New York art scene. Where Where do you start as a performer with Andy Warhol? It's a big one. The stuff in that chalice could be beautiful, but it could be poison, you know? Yeah. Well, what do you do? You you watch a few docs, <laughs> read a few books, you know. Uh, and and I was uh, a really big fan of both Basquiat and Warhol. Basquiat actually, for a brief while, went to the same school as my kids go to, and I have a fascination with him and a fascination with Warhol. And actually, I had seen the the collaboration mounted at the Whitney. Yeah. A couple of years before I got a call about this, and I got the call about this, and although I was fascinated, I kind of said to Dennis, the producer, no, because I couldn't quite see a way to get out from underneath the wig and the glasses and the, yeah. <laughs> and the sort of carefully crafted public persona. And then two things happened. I read the script, and it felt like a revelation to me. And it's not a bad piece of kit. It's really not a bad piece of kit. And And then... <laughs> I read Warhol's diaries, which he didn't write. He downloaded to every morning to his office just on a phone call and it written in these long, circuitous sentences. So you have to then presume that there was a different Andy that was hidden and that's why this script felt like a revelation. And then getting into rehearsals, I haven't... There's a sort of meta thing going on that Andy hasn't painted in 25 years and I haven't been on stage for 25 years. <laughs> and... Getting into rehearsal on a play with this group of actors and with this director and with this writer, it has been really therapeutic, actually, and and quite an extraordinary process. And I totally fell in love with Jeremy. He's the hardest-working actor that I've ever met. And we're both really fastidious. I think it, it probably comes from his background in dance and singing and the, the realization that it takes miles. It's hard yards. It's a lot of effort to look effortless. And and I just being inspired by his work, which is so luminous. And then my realization that often when you're making movies, I don't bother going to talk to the director after a, a scene because well, they, I know they have it because I, you know, I did it and they caught it and they'll figure it out later. And 
Kwame sees everything. He sees everything, and he talks it. The note sessions are longer than the day's rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> but, you can hear a pencil sharpening just now. <laughs> and, and, but he has seen everything. He's got eyes like a hawk, and, and it's been an extraordinary process for me. Yeah, because it's essentially a two-hander. There's Bruno Bischofsberger and Maya, who's Jean-Michel's sort of, sort of issue, isn't she, ex-girlfriend. But it's a two-hander, so there's a lot. You well, guys although, seem I, to have a great kind of synergy just sitting here, but that's... I think that's true, but although when you, I think when you see it, those two other secondary characters, yes, but I feel like they loom really large in the mm-hmm. lives of these, of these uh, you know, two of the greatest contemporary artists of all time. And how do you, Kwame, I mean, as Jeremy says, you know, he can, he can kind of channel a bit of the Basquiat spirit through looking at the kind of visceral nature of those paintings. But Warhol's work, poor Paul here, you know, he's got, he's got screen prints. And, you know, even back in the 50s, beautiful, beautiful, you know, commercial illustrations of ladies' shoes and things like this, you know, to look at. And that, that's an amazing draftsman. But you've got a person that's hiding in plain sight, like Andy Warhol, mm-hmm. a person who kind of, at least we were led to believe, wore his heart on his sleeve, Jeremy's character. How do you direct that, or do you just allow the script and your guys here to, to get on with it? You know, without making this into a total love fest. Um, <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, no, I mean, it's really, um, it's really weird, right? Because one, as an artist, wants to be a bit guarded. Because, you you know, you, you don't want to put the curse on it and you don't want to, you don't want to attract people going, oh, my God, you know, they've lost their objectivity because they're in love. But actually, I didn't start directing this play until, you know, Jeremy and Paul got on the floor. Mm-hmm. We did a reading in New York. We did a week together. And I had a bunch of feelings, of course. We got to our brilliant set designer, Anna and I had had spoken and we'd set the world. But actually, when we got to New York and we were there for a week and these two brilliant men began to animate these characters, really, then I knew that I didn't have a lot of work to do. I simply had to meet them. Right. Now, that sounds like I'm saying I didn't do You sort of had work. to witness them doing it, and it kind of well, seals something. I'd go, I'd go a step further than that. It's not just witnessing. It's I had to meet them. Like, I, I would often say, oh, shit, you've just seen something that I didn't see. It's now on me to meet you. When actors as, as particular and specific as these two men are, when they come on the floor, you know that they worked four hours last night and two hours in the morning before they've put this offering on the table. And then they're saying, okay, what do you think? And I have to be able to meet that with an eye that says, I see you. And if I see you, I now meet you. And so can I offer you something that might allow you to go home tonight and go, okay, I'll do more work? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally, it's been that kind of reciprocal relationship that they come in and they go, boom. There was one moment in rehearsal where it was a, where they had worked on a Sunday. And I'd given a note session on the Friday. As, as it's one of these long said. ones, like sort of yeah. medieval scroll. Yeah, it's long. It's long. Literally, there was one time where my note session was longer than the fucking, I was going to be longer than the run. And, and I was like, I was just like, yo, no, come on, bro. Pull back on that. Edit, edit just a little. But actually, we did that note session and then, Paul and Jeremy worked on the Sunday night and they came back and they and you could not see my notes. They, they had taken off my notes and they had placed it somewhere in the back garden and said, OK, bam, we've dug this. What do you think? And I remember going home that night just going, OK, 
I too have to dig that deep. I have to meet them. So that's a very long way round of saying one can come in to a production with lots of thoughts, but actually you deal with what is placed in front of you. And when you have actors who are literally just hitting the bat, hitting the ball out of the court every day, it's a beautiful honour to come into that space and try and offer something. It must be wonderful seeing things, how things, even with such a wonderful script, how things change, the sort of subtleties, the the sort of physical subtleties of of things changing on a stage, right? When people aren't dressed as their characters yet, but it's just guys in jeans and T-shirts doing their thing. That must be a wonderful part of being a director, Kwame. I I think there's a couple of things for for me. There's a moment, and we did a production of Death of a Salesman a couple of years ago at the YV, and and I remember coming into the, the final run in the rehearsal room, which incidentally is the same rehearsal room that we're working in right now. And I went, I'd be happy to put an audience in front of this without any other stuff. And I feel that way when I see these gentlemen work. That I go, right now, I'd be happy to just put an audience in front of them. Because they are inventing daily, but they're inventing from a place of truth, not from a place of an exterior, oh, isn't this clever, isn't this funny. But they're just excavating truth. It makes my job both very easy and terribly insecure we're about, we're, we're about to go into tech and I'm like and I've gone it's the set up to them is there do you know what I mean have I, have I thought through the lights well enough have I thought through because and that's it's magnificent as a director to you don't get it every time and I feel really blessed that Anthony Script and these gentlemen and the rest of our cast on there it's for me to mess up I think Kwame's being a little humble here. It, you know, we, 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 we have a great script. The cast all love each other and are working well together. Kwame has a very unique way of working um, and builds a real structure beneath the script that allows for play that is very... It's, 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 it's really robust, and that's absolutely down to Kwame. I think he's been slightly disingenuous. He's hiding his light under a massive bushel. <laughs> yes, Where is, is it? I can't, even, my I can't even see I any light under this bushel, and they go, Kwame. And they go, no. <laughs> I'm actually, here's this note. They go, yeah. no. We're going to kick the hell out of that note, and we're going to show yeah, you yeah, really yeah. what it can be. We've, and then you literally... I go, I lean back. Go, okay, okay. And for you two, I mean, this is a collaboration couched in the, as a contest and a contest couched as a collaboration between these two guys. The balance of power shifts constantly between the two of them. You never know who the senior partner is kind of thing. Do you have to make a deal with that? Does that sway between you guys? I guess I should I should address this to someone, Jeremy. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you, does that pendulum swing between you? It's there in the writing, but you have to be very nimble as a performer to get the yeah. subtleties of that and click into gear and suddenly be a little bit down at what the other guys said. Or, For sure. I know. think the beautiful thing about the amount of time that we've had with this script and the fact that even in the last question you asked, I wanted to just kind of give some love to Anthony and his brilliance and his openness with his script. I've worked with playwrights or writers where it's, this is my script and you say my words and that's what it needs to be. And there's such a freedom in his writing for us as actors and as creators, but just in the process of understanding what is on the page and what is underneath it. So what we've done in Brilliance to Kwame is we took the time to go line by line, intention for intention, and to start to just break down what it is we're saying and why we're saying it. You know, I think having the time and the space to do that just 
has only influenced the way in which we play on the floor. And I think it also allows us to play it differently each night. So me and Paul, we do our work, you know, outside of the rehearsal space, and we just find moments. And some of those moments we don't have to share with Kwame because it's something that we know when we're on the floor. God forbid more, the notes, we're there. Jeremy. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he'll see it. He'll see the work or he'll see whatever we found, you know, and, and in our own time. And I just think, like, that is kind of what's so thrilling about this project in particular and what is what is on the page is because we've found the things that aren't there yeah and i think that's what makes it so interesting and makes you know hopefully the audience lean in 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 a different way so it becomes fun because now that we kind of know what we're doing we can do it well and we can do it with finesse and i think that's like the greatest feeling yeah as an as an artist going into something as we get into tech because i feel like I'm starting to soar a little bit in the text and through the text and above and around the text, you know. Talking about gear changes. Yeah. You know, you've got both of your characters um, get into a little bit of soliloquizing about what their art is about, what an art should be about. And Jean-Michel is about sort of tr- a certain sort of truth. And, and Warhol's truth is about, you know, the truth is that there is no truth or the, the honesty is that there is no such thing or art is it's kind of something else. Doesn't he say death's about as exciting as going to Bloomingdale's, which is, kind of, <laughs> which is pretty good. And Paul, Andy has got some excellent speeches. The night out, Mick and Jerry... Went round to Yoko because she was throwing a party for Sean, et cetera, et cetera. You've got some Dorothy Parkerish, waspish kind of, and I guess he's come from the diary entries, that sort of tone of voice and stuff. You've got some nice sort of grandstanding bits. Does it feel like that, that sort of change of gear where you're kind of teaching Jean-Michel a lesson, aren't you? Yes. On uh, you, Andy. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Andy is, is teaching him a lesson there. And it's, I mean, I think Andy is confused by Jean-Michel's art, which he looks at and is definitely affecting him, but he can't figure out why. And also, figurative art must have seemed like such a step backwards for Andy, who has, who was so frightened of life that he's sort of changed the world with magic to think that he was a star. <laughs> and relevancy is the only thing keeping him safe, and he's feeling increasingly irrelevant. And he needs to prove initially that this, isn't, this can't be a step forward. This has to be a step back. And so a lot of those really verbose sections, you have to figure out what's underneath it. And I think what's underneath it is that speech that you're referencing about his night, Andy's night out, is prefaced by <laughs> him <sequel>. asking... <laughs> the speech is prefaced by him asking what Basquiat did. Yeah. And Basquiat says, I found a dead guy on my yeah. stoop. And he's like, of course you did. You know? <laughs> and his, his whole thing is it doesn't have to be you don't have to explode your weird art therapy onto the wall. You know what I mean? You, you, it, 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 it can be a more conceptual idea, which is, hey, you, we're living in a... I mean, there are very different, very clear periods in, in Warhol's career, you know, that sort of optimism of the 50s into sort of the American horror story and then into sort of business art mm. and into sort of a, a warning of American consumerism. What do you want? You want a Marilyn? What color lips? What color hair do you want? How many? I'll just yeah. give you. And yeah. let's reduce the image so it's flatter and flatter and flatter and to, so, so that all you are getting is Marilyn with hair and lips. And so he was, this must have been terrifying, meeting this kid who was just taking the art world by storm. 
and suddenly he was in his slipstream. Right, we right. We start and off I, with Bruno, the, the dealer, Bishop's, Bruno Bischofsberger, convincing Andy, don't we, that, that yeah. he should be with, you know, putting an arm around Jean-Michel's shoulder, not to help him necessarily. Right. right? And I, I think that if you just, we've been trying to do is find out what's beneath all of those decisions to speak, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. the decision to speak and what they're actually trying to do to each other and for what, I think is what Kwame has been brilliant at teasing out from Anthony's script. Mm -hmm. There is an essence of pugilism to this, but there's a real, such a tenderness there. And I don't want to spoil for our listeners where we end up at the end of the play, but I mean, I mean, death hangs over it because of, we we know what happens to these guys. And it's dropped in, you know, there's a lot of over my dead body that Andy's saying, and he's constantly referencing the gunshot wound and, and, and things like this. There is so much play in it, but there is a darkness over the top of it. There's a sense of foreboding and a big cloud. I would say yes Am and I no. over-egging that? No, no, I don't know if you're over-egging it because, again, uh, you've read the script and that's what you've taken mm. from it. And uh, I think what we all try to do in the production, actually, is uh, certainly for, for me, is that death is not the end of the story. Yeah, indeed. Well, immortality, I guess, is the moral here. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so actually, whatever it is that's hanging over, I think both of them are negotiating with, we're going to hit death. But, but no, it's it, not it, a somber thing, but it, I mean, it's but, very well, funny. I mean, it's yeah, like... When, yeah. when, when it comes, that's secondary. It's secondary to, to what spirit we're endowing these pieces of art that will adorn walls forever and ever. And, and so, uh, ultimately, it, it's very interesting. I think there's a war, and no, that war's too over-egged. Actually, there's a battle... That's happening in our culture at the moment. Anyway, I'm not talking about the culture wars, but there's a battle between the application of the spirit and the application of the mind, and that's always been a war between the east and the west, or a battle between the east. What's valid? What's not? Mm-hmm. Does cerebral activity equal the highest form of intelligence, or does soul, as demonstrated through a James Brown loop, yeah, or through you know through a, a tap dance? What is art? What is high art? And I think in a world where they're actually discussing high art, the application of the soul or the application of the mind, what we actually find by the end of the play, for me, is that both are valid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I sit through two hours of, of the debate that says we entered into this on one side or t'other, but if we get it right, we will leave loving both of them right. and knowing both were valid. I think that's right. And as I, I mm. think that, you know, the first act really opens you up and you, you'll leave thinking you know what this show is. And then the second act is really explosive. And I think, I hope the end of the play is kind of transcendent in that way because there is a sort of a, a collaboration. Is this the collaboration drinking yeah. game where yeah. every time you say yeah, the title, here's another four shots. A glass of Perrier water. I hear that you've done some painting, and this is what we we see. I mean, some of this you're facing the audience, you're facing the auditorium. Some of it we're not, so we see what you you and Paul are doing, Jeremy. I mean, that's there's acting on stage, and then there's pretending to be a one of the greatest painters of all time on stage. Yeah. Discuss. Discuss, yeah. <laughs> Let, let's chat. Um, it's actually really fun. Um, I say fun because I was um, a bit nervous coming into it, knowing that we were going to recreate not just art, but Basquiat's work. It's like, yeah. shit, all right, bet. Um, but, you know, I was fortunate to have some help in New York just kind of 
guide me on, you know, and we just started to explore, just paint, just, you know, not get focused on anything particular. And I surprised myself. I'm going to gas myself because my... You don't have to gas yourself. Yo, my I, first I, I, work I, you know, was you know, kind of lit. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't have to gas... It was lit. You don't have to gas yourself. Let me gas you. <laughs> because I'm not going to lie, right? That, of course, directorially is the big thing. Yeah. How much art you see, what will the art look yeah. like? Can the artists, can the actors... Because you don't want people going, oh, that's not, that's correct. No <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, Jeremy is absolutely right. That Oof. literally he created something and I went... Oh shit! <laughs> oh, that's some that's some beautiful stuff. Right. And Paul throughout it, Paul like does some stenciling, and you can see it. Originally, I had planned that we saw all of the art as they created it. Yeah. And actually, due to how beautiful these actors recreate the art, I've literally been able to just rip it apart and just go, "No, don't see that. We won't see that. We won't," because they they did the work, particularly in our New York rehearsal time. They did the work. They did the painting. They learnt what it looked like and what it felt like. And now we see it. Mm. I've got to be honest. I landed on my feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul as well as Andy's got to be so shy of that paintbrush to begin with, right? You've got. I mean, that's uh. you know, it's like. You know the game Operation, where you have to put the... Yeah, yeah so it's a bit... I feel like you're a little bit like that, not wanting to touch the sides. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's right. <laughs> I also think that what happened in the way that we're doing it, which has been so fortuitous, is that the most important painting is the one that will actually be seen being created on... Because, you know, it's the... What they call it, the law of uh, diminishing returns. You know, if you're... and And, by the way... They were quick at painting, but we'd be there all night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. how much time I mean, you got? Yeah. Yeah. Keep an audience. Uh, if you just pause now while they just fill in the background. Yeah. People get that program. Five intervals. In this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the great favors that that Jean does for Andy. Right, is to get is to give him imbue him with that f- the physical confidence to make the mark. Be, become the not the artist that he was, but the the confident creator, I guess that he that he kind of was. It feels to me, just having read the script, that that's a kind of crux, cruxy moment. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that Basquiat <laughs> has a mission. Is he is on a mission? Yeah. And Warhol's on a mission. And the <laughs> and by the way, the second act is three years after a three year yeah. collaboration. They have become very close, and it's very docu- well documented how close they were. And and then just because of some silly reviews, there was a falling out, and it was devastating to to both of them mm-hmm. actually. And, and yeah. the end of some sort of love. Yeah, because also yeah. they weren't long for this world. At this point. Neither, neither of them. Neither of them, were they? That's what I meant, really, by the kind of cloud hanging over yes, it. It's yes. not, not, not that it's a sort of somber, sort of sad thing. Oh, no, I thing, heard you. Please forgive me. But I, uh, I, it's that reality. Everyone in that audience knows yeah. knows these guys. There's their work. They're going to be beautifully portrayed. But it's just like, oh, you could have, you could have, you could have had another if, 30 years of that. Yes, yeah, <laughs> but, and if I may just gently push back, I mm. think, and this is part of the, the bonds that we three in particular, and, of course, Anthony, have had, is that actually... We're not making this piece of work for all of those who know these men inside out. In our mind, right front and center is that 19 or 25-year-old who's heard the names, but they don't know them. The stuff, and if yeah. they don't know the work, they can't quote it. They can't. Because why that's important for me is that, is that it's, it's important not to privilege the privileged classes when we come to make theater. 
that actually I'm, I'm a working class kid in my heritage and I, I want to walk into a theatre. I want my younger self to walk into a theatre and go, I don't have to have 15 degrees in art history to understand that these two spirits did battle with each other in order to find each other, in order to find themselves. And so, in, in a way, yes, Anthony's written a brilliant script where those who understand art and understand this, they'll, they'll laugh at the cleverness of it. But actually, the people that will move us, we had a run in the rehearsal room the other day, and there was a, a, a young person who said to me later when I got back to the theatre, I know nothing about these two men, mm. and yet I cried. Yeah. And, and I went, okay, then these actors are doing their work. That's all we have time for this week. My thanks to Kwame Kwe Armour, Anthony McCartan, Paul Bettany and Jeremy Pope. The collaboration is on now at The Young Vic. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chung-Goo, and Steph also edits the show. We'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. Thank <laughs> you.